I said something in the homily Sunday that, well, the feast was Our Lady of Walsingham, and I was telling the mm-hmm. story of Lady Rochelle's having a vision of the Virgin from the Virgin Mary to yeah. build a replica of her home in Nazareth, and now she went. You know, they built the house with her workers and. All of this comes from a ballad in the 14th century. That's the details of it. But at any rate, so it's not going well. Anyone who's been involved in a construction project can identify Mm -hmm. with that not going well. She prays all night long, comes up the next morning. The house is A, built to perfection, Mm -hmm. and B, moved 200 um, feet away. And the comment I made was, if you hear that fact and you already check out because it sounds too much like a fairy tale, Mm -hmm. consider the fact that I know in my prayers, I pray for far bigger things than a house moving uh, 200 Mm -hmm. feet away. And I've been thinking about that, about how uh, what we do pray for Mm -hmm. and the people that we pray for, hoping for, praying for healing, praying for reconciliation among people, praying for peace, Mm -hmm. praying for conversions, praying for all kinds of things, which objectively are far more dramatic, I would think, than um, a house being moved 200 feet and then being built together. And I was really sort of thinking about that, because today I want to talk about about angels. And that's also another topic that is... A straw man for a lot of people to yeah. say, look how unintelligent and simple and backward Christians are because mm-hmm. they believe in these um, you know, beings that you fairy can't tales, see, yeah. fairy tales, fairies, so on and so forth. Yet at the same time, the substance of our prayers that, that many of us have personally mm-hmm. contains things that are far more um, um, uh, miraculous, yeah. what we're wanting and praying for than yeah. simply uh, a, a shed moving yeah. Uh, 200 feet. Mm-hmm. How do you, do you agree with that? I do. And I think, um, I, when you were preaching on that, um, I thought if I was in that situation and I woke up to like a house moving, you know, because of prayer, my first thought would be, come on, there's a, there's a bunch of other prayers that I would like to have answered before yep. a shed moving 200 feet, um, which is kind of a comical way to look at it. But the idea, you know, is, there are more miraculous things happening all around us that we are oblivious to. Um, and a shed moving 200 feet is, is just simply not that big of a deal. And, and you, can, you, you can buy into that a little bit easier than some of the other claims. I mean, look at what our, our faith is, is built on. Um, God taking on human flesh, the mystery of the incarnation, um, dying and raising again, you're willing to take all that, but a shed moving is, is too much. I mean, come on. Correct. Um, trying to be consistent in, in our faith kind of demands that we take those as possibilities, those you know stories of the saints, those things as possibilities, but also as um, you know actual groundings of, of our faith and stuff like that. I mean, I think, I think you're right to say, come on, if a shed moving 200 feet is too much for you, you might need to check what you think about the resurrection and incarnation. Because if that's too much for you, what do you believe about the, these more miraculous things? And um, what's the greater point to the story? It's not that we hang our faith on a shed moving yeah. 200 feet in the year 1061. What we hang our what we hang our hat on is that Lady Rochelle's had a spiritual moment. Mm-hmm. She had an insight mm-hmm. that still resonates a thousand years yeah. later that people are making this pilgrimage to a to a place where that joy is 
proclaimed yeah. in the Annunciation and that we're called to to participate in that same joy. And I think that is the point of so much of what we hold dear and what frames our spiritual experience, mm-hmm. our religion, the, like, we, we've talked in the past about relics, and mm-hmm. we don't, I mean, it would be a mistake to, to really get too um, literal about the relics, right. even though we, we, we hold completely open to the possibility or probability these are actual um, pieces from, from holy men and women. Yeah. The, but the bigger point is that these are objects of faith and devotion mm-hmm. that carry us deeper into contemplation of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. in our life in Him. Um, how that house moved 200 feet is really beside the point. The point is that became um, a place of pilgrimage mm-hmm. for people who could not go to the Holy Land to make uh, a local pilgrimage and to encounter yeah. the joy of, of, of Our Lady. And as we talk about angels today, because the Feast of St. Michael and mm-hmm. All Angels is um, Friday, yeah, and, Friday, and um, again, you, you will see on surveys and polls about how many people believe in angels, and, 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 and people will make fun of that. Yep. We're kind of missing the point if we reduce the angels down to these cherubic mm-hmm. um, cartoons or images that we have from yeah. Hollywood. Or even the idea of just guardian angels. I mean, I think when people yes. think angels, that's all they can think about yep. and nothing else. Um, and there's a whole world of, you know, angelic beings and, and holy um, creatures in the scriptures um, and in the church tradition. I think that what the church has always done is to um, say that there are things that are beyond our comprehension. There are things seen and unseen, yeah. as we say in the creed. Um, at the same time, the church calls us to not be fixated on the, on the I don't know the, the, the right word, sort of the magical elements yeah. to these unseen things, but to use them as points of departure to mm-hmm. go deeper into the substance of our faith. All of, all of those things, angels specifically, because they are by definition messengers, mm-hmm. they, are, they, are, they exist to, to shepherd us deeper into the life and mm-hmm. mystery of God and not to remain fixated on them independent of Jesus Christ. That's the point I want to make is that angels, uh, relics and the story of Our Lady of Walsingham, they're not islands that, that are apart from the, the mystery of faith. Right. They, they are invitations, signposts, calls to go deeper into that mm-hmm. mystery and not by themselves. And I was thinking, I was trying, when I was preaching Sunday about Our Lady of Walsingham, I made a comment that she always points to Jesus, yeah. that she's the moon. I love that reflection. Yeah, if, you, if you were, if you were here on so Sunday, easy. is that the Virgin Mary is like the moon. The moon has no light of its own. It only reflects the sun. Mm-hmm. The Virgin Mary reflects um, her son, I Jesus like that Christ. because it also helps us understand devotions to Mary. You look at the moon and it's beautiful. Um, you, you pay attention to it. And yet the only reason it's beautiful is because of the sun's light yes. on it. And I was thinking while I was preaching, but I didn't want to make this statement in case I was wrong, which is <laughs> embarrassing. Um, all of our images of Mary at St. Timothy's, including the one that's um, behind us in this podcast room, Mary is never separated from Jesus Christ. Our Lady of Walsingham, Mm -hmm. he's sitting on her lap. There's an icon of Mary in the narthex. Her son is is with her there. Mm-hmm. This image here, even even the Annunciation, even the Annunciation, she gives her well, consent. Well, where is Jesus? Mary in all of the panels of the triptych, 
She's always yeah. next to her son, either on the cross or as a baby or in her or womb. In womb. Yeah. Uh, the icon in the chapel of the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ is with her there. Mm-hmm. I'm not against images of Mary by yeah. herself, but the appropriate image of Mary for devotional purposes is, is to be with connected Jesus with Christ. Jesus Christ. And I think if you understand that, and I'm very pleased that all of our images confirm that, then you understand a bit of of her role and and her aid to us devotionally yeah. is that we we contemplate on her life to go deeper into the life of her mm-hmm. son. So all that to say, when we pray, let us not limit our prayers yeah. and let us not limit the scope of our faith mm-hmm. to being too small. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, and I think we have to take him um, seriously, that we can move mountains. Yeah. What does he mean by that? That's a life of faith to discover. Mm-hmm. It's not, again, it's not transactional or magic. Believe in me, and you can go to, you know, um, I don't know, Mount Pilot, yeah. Pilot Mountain, yeah, Mount Pilot Pilots, Mountain, and like, oh, blinking your Mount eyes Pilots, and Andy Griffith Show, Pilot, Pilot Mountain, Mountain, and then click your heels and say, yeah. go to Rockingham County. Yeah. That's not how that works. That's kind of an abuse of mm-hmm. of of the of the of, of faith, but to be able to re- reorient, reorder things in our life, mm-hmm. to be an agent of the reordering that Jesus Christ has has accomplished on the cross that we're still living into mm-hmm. is a part of that. And don't don't limit don't limit yeah. the power of faith and prayer. Later when we get to our uh, conversation about angels, remind me to bring up a conversation I had with the young adults the other night. Um, but I'll save that to where we really, you know, dive into the angels. Um, Let's open them with prayer, and then we're going to talk a little bit about um, some statistics that came out. Um, we've mentioned, you know, parochial report before. It always provides an insight into our larger denomination as a whole, um, and it helps us maybe understand our own parish a little bit more. But I'm going to open with the colic for St. Michael and All Angels, which is Friday's feast day. Let us pray. Everlasting God, you have ordained and constituted in a wonderful order the ministries of angels and mortals. Mercifully grant that as your holy angels always serve and worship you in heaven, so by your appointment they may help and defend us here on earth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. So a couple days ago, um, you know, I start seeing all my clergy friends talk about, have you read the parochial report data yet? And everyone jumps on to um, almost inadvertently always be um, a little upset or a little frustrated because we see declining numbers and, you know, people talk about um, what does that mean and what are we supposed to do? And then 2022 comes along um, and we actually... Long story short, we actually saw a slight increase. Let's define what a parochial report is. Parochial report is the Episcopal Church's income tax return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bunch of data. It's a bunch of graphs. It's the census and income tax return combined into one that's due every year where we have to include mainly what is our income, plate, and pledge, Mm -hmm. and um, membership vital statistics. Mm -hmm. What's our membership, which is difficult to define, we can go into that. But average Sunday attendance is the one that I really pay attention to. Baptisms. People are here on Sundays. Correct. Bodies. Bodies. And and what's what's the the, the debate now, and frankly, I don't remember what their parochial report said, but there could be the inclusion of online. Mm -hmm. That was, and, and we don't really 
stress that too much here. We never included it. We don't. We, we, we love the online stuff to be a tool mm-hmm. if you're on vacation and you're traveling, if you're unwell, if you're mm-hmm. unable to, 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 if you're homebound. Yeah. Um, or, and what is, is really our, our aim, if you're curious about St. Timothy's yeah. and you want to know what it looks like, sounds Correct. like, before you come, that's that tool for evangelism. But we we don't use it as a as a substitute or surrogate for actual being here and, and receiving the communion. Is sacraments don't transfer online. They do not. You got to be here. And now, that if is you're the grounding of our of our you know parish is the sacraments. If you're homebound, and we have many, and you 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 can't correct truly come, and you hear the homily, and you see the community, and you listen to the music, and then that's supplemented by your clergy coming and correct. bringing you communion um, yeah. when you are prepared and yeah. request it then that's fine. Yeah, but there's a reason we come and bring it to you in person and don't say, ah, you watched online, yeah, fine. because it doesn't. That's not yeah. how that so, works. Anyway, Sorry. Every Sunday numbers yeah, just came out. report numbers. So people are, you know, encouraged by a slight increase um, in the average Sunday attendance of the Episcopal Church, broadly speaking, from 2021 to 2022. You know, the idea is, oh, we're finally out of the throes of COVID and people are starting to return. Um we're still down. I mean, you look at a 30-year trend. The Episcopal Church is still losing people. But I think it's worth, you know, pausing for a moment to say, okay, some people are coming back. Um, COVID is hopefully in our rearview mirror. Or at least we know how to handle the increases nowadays a little bit more. Churches aren't going to be closing. Um, you know, we're not going to have people having to sign up anymore. And, and thank God for that. Um, but I think what is an interesting, you know, view into our own parish is coming out of COVID. We've, we've talked a bunch about what things have changed and, and what, you know, we've learned and stuff like that. Um, but there is a, a stability that has emerged out of COVID and a hunger um, that I think is encouraging. Um, you know, the, the numbers are returning a little bit, but this is a different church than it was three years ago. Um, and I think part of the difference that I have noticed, you know, as I do formation here and stuff, is people are, are hungry for in-depth stuff. Um, I mean, I've been doing a young adult men's Bible study recently, and we've spent three or four weeks on the book of Letter of Jude now. And we've had to go into, you know, the book of Enoch and, and, and Second Temple Jewish texts that are not even included in the scriptures just to have a background. I mean, very, you know, academic um sometimes a little boring, but helpful to understand Jude better, and they're all about it. Um, I don't think, you know, that was necessarily impossible three or four years ago, but it's becoming more and more apparent. And then we were sitting around talking about, um, all of them were, you know, talking about, they all go to our our 11 o'clock service, our, our our solemn mass with the incense and chanting, and they were basically like, look, after COVID, I, I want something real. Um, the world is tumultuous, it's changing, you know, it's unstable. And being connected to a a way of worship that is stable, has a history behind it, has a depth and a substance that it's not trying to woo me. Um, You know, we see ads all the time. People are trying to influencers get you to do certain things. And this liturgy just kind of is what it is. And it invites you into a deeper mystery. And that is appealing to a lot of people. Um, and I, you know, I've talked with several uh, friends and, you know, I'm hearing similar things. So I think the encouragement is that people are returning. There's a hunger. And I think our, 
uh, challenge as, as clergy is now there's a big evangelistic opportunity now. Um, the church, you know, has more of an opportunity than it has in a long time to be evangelistic, to be uh, outspoken, unashamed about our liturgy, about our, our faith, about our trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, about Holy Scripture and the depth and richness of it. Um, and people out there are are wanting it. I mean, we're seeing that in the people who now, you know, are joining our church after COVID and seeing what we're all about. And, and that actually is encouraging. Yeah, I think the church has changed not in you said different church than it was three years ago. Yeah. I think it's a different church than what it was 18. And I say three years ago because I started working here. Yeah, but 18 ago. months ago because you had. Yeah, that too. Because, you know, post COVID when you could come back, there was sort of the initial return mm-hmm. for some. And then, and then I think, I think we saw a lot where, um, or some where they sort of self selected out after that just wasn't, wasn't that important yeah. anymore. Um, I think that, you know, I've been a priest for 18 years. When I was ordained, it was and in the South, in the Southeast, it was what kind of church are you mm-hmm. is how you had to differentiate yourself to to, mm-hmm. to let people know who you are. Now, the question is, what is a church? Mm-hmm. Not what kind, what is that? Yeah. What is the story of Christianity? What, what does Christianity proclaim? What questions do we ask? What... What answers do we do we point to? Mm-hmm. And yes, it's a completely different way of of because we can no longer assume there is a Christian foundation that people mm-hmm. are responding to. So now we're having to articulate that. And I think the freedom that that I am starting to live into, but I've been doing this a while, so having breaking away from old habits is taking longer than I thought. Is to having permission, and we've we've talked about this before, to really do what we feel like we were called to do, yeah. and and only that. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, like we're having a podcast recording now. It's Wednesday morning at eleven o'clock. I'm looking out a window, watching people walk to another mm-hmm. Bible study. We had mass this morning. You're having youth formation tonight. Mm-hmm. We have rosary have today at five. We have mass in an hour, less than an hour. So our day on a Wednesday is. I recorded a, a reflection for for online is is um, prayer, sacrament, study, and study in various ways. There's an in person Bible study mm-hmm. going on right now. We're preparing this for people who obviously can't come for whatever reasons. And it's a different kind of format. That's our focus. Mm-hmm. We're gearing, getting ready in and in, um, in December to open up our parish again for a shelter yeah. continuing a decades long tradition we're preparing you'll be preparing digging a grave to bury 51 babies yep. this sunday yep. so really the superfluous social element which mm-hmm. has defined a lot of the cohesion or the attraction yeah. for church is no longer our priority it's not that we are opposed or don't see the value in social community yeah. it's not the case at all you had a bible study last night yeah. in a person's home you know yeah, with, with people social I'm, cohesion. I'm sure there was food and drink involved mm-hmm. in the whole bit and that that was wonderful but that is those things are serving the substance and not and not bible study sort of serving the social yeah. aspect and that's freeing because People have already self-selected mm-hmm. out. If they're not into the religious part, that they, they, they've already they've already yeah. moved on to other things. And it's that return to the heart and substance of prayer mm-hmm. and Bible and, mm-hmm. and 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 love and and not love in a in a platitude. Um, 
phrase that has no meat under it, but yeah. a, but a, but a love that that challenges, and a love that convicts, and a love that demands we ask questions, and a love that has an intellectual and spiritual and emotional and psychological foundation. That that is a refreshing mm-hmm. approach. That's what we are about. And and yes, you know we were looking at our numbers. We had a, an uptick. Um, you know we're still down pre-COVID, but in many ways, and this is not trying to convince me or you or anyone else that things are fine. The truth of the matter is there are many, many elements that are stronger now than they were yeah. and stronger than I could have imagined them mm-hmm. to be. And um, I, I've said to the parish, and I mean it, as challenging as times are here and there, opt- I'm optimistic mm-hmm. about about what is coming. And, th- and there's a theological point being made here, as you were saying, the the social and, you know, substance um, comments that I thought of the, you know, I've been reading Philippians 2 because it's the epistle for this coming Sunday. And, and you know, Paul basically says, um, make my joy complete to be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. And I think there's actually a theological point there that our true sociability, our true, true social network has to be grounded in Jesus Christ, in something substantial. And the second you get those out of whack and you say, we want the community aspect, and then we add on a Bible study. You've missed the point, and and your your actual social network there is is not um, grounded in something eternal. It's not grounded in the same love of being of one mind, that selfless love that comes from Jesus Christ. Um, you know, a few verses later, he does the famous you know Christ hymn, "At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow." Um, humility and a recognition of the lordship of Jesus Christ is the key to our sociability. Um, and we've said before that that a true, you know, friendship um, is not grounded in convenience or what you can get from this relationship. You have a friend with a truck that you keep around whenever you need it, but it's grounded in a genuine love of the other person, of wanting what's best for them. And that only comes if you are of the same mind, which is why, you know, we prioritize, you know, have a Bible study. And then you will meet a community there. Have join a guild or society that's centered around something substantial, and you will find a network there. And the network you actually find through that is going to be stronger than, you know, a breakfast just for a breakfast. Because we we have a tendency to self-select people, yep. to to say I'm I'm going to choose to be with this person and not this person. When you prioritize the scriptures, you don't get to make those decisions because you're bound together with with all the people around you in Jesus Christ. So there's a theological point being made there too. And the reason we bring this up, and the reason we bring this up time and again, is not to toot our own horn to say, look how sound we are. It's just simply to share with you the reason why we make certain decisions yeah. as 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 priests and as, as leaders of, of, of this parish given to our charge is that we, we've, we've thought this through, we've prayed about it, mm-hmm. we've lived through it, and we've made mistakes, and we've reflected yeah. Yeah. on those mistakes. And we want to invite people to understand the, the reason, the direction, the philosophy, the aim, the spirituality, the theology behind yeah. all this so that and the joy and the joy and so the that we can joy. we can all get behind it yeah. and understand which is why to to bring it back to the the topic at hand why we're not afraid to um talk about the feast of saint michael and yeah. all angels um and then normally we would keep it as an evening feast mm-hmm. there'll be a mass here friday morning but we try to do one <clears throat> evening mass a month mm-hmm. 
and give our servers and singers and, and the choir a break, resources, um, yeah. limited resources. <clears throat> and we typically do St. Michael and all angels because of our ministry right. to law enforcement in the St. Michael chapel. And frankly, my last parish was St. Michael. Saint Michael. So I have an, have an, an, um, a devotion to, to the archangel, but, um, yeah, that's why. And, and because talking about angels and, and reflecting on them in scripture and in the liturgy, and it's they're everywhere. Yeah. There's there there's all throughout the liturgy in particular mm-hmm. that you don't even notice it. It's mm-hmm. there so much that um, you know it's it's the substance. It's the meat that brings us deeper into our relationship with Jesus yeah. Christ. They're aids. They're they're helps. They're messengers. So let's talk about angels um, a little bit. Um, Michael, Saint Michael, and all angels. You know the feast on Friday. Um, originally, it was <clears throat> multiple feasts. Right, Michael had his own feast. Raphael had his own feast. Am I correct in that? Yeah, the archangels had their own. The holy guardian angels had their own yeah. feast. Yeah, and so at some point, this all gets combined into into one feast, and it's called Saint Michael and all angels. Kind of, you know, a, a catch-all term. Um, but I think, you know, I, I jotted down a couple of verses in the in the Old Testament, and you know, a little bit in Revelation, just talking about like the role of Michael in the scriptures. I think people get a little bit confused on. What do the angels do? Maybe if you've been, you know, taught a little bit, you might know messenger. Angel means messenger, other messengers of God. Or you have an idea of what the guardian angels do. Oh, well, they're supposed to protect me, or at least protect the little ones, um, as as Jesus says in in Matthew. Um, but there's a a more clear role that actually emerges, especially for Michael, um, and we you know get his name because. Actually, in, in our canonical scripture, um, Michael is the only one given a title of archangel. We have other writings like Enoch and stuff where you get the names of some others and you definitely get like the angel Gabriel. Um, but in Jude, Michael is the only one given archangel, which tells us something about this created heavenly realm, that there actually are divisions. I mean, you have angels, you have archangels somehow separate from them. Paul hints at this, powers and principalities. Powers and principalities. I mean, there is this um, world that is beyond our material sight. Pop quiz, how many classes of angels are there? Oh, goodness. And can you name them? Cherubim, seraphim, are those in the same or are they separate? They're different. Um, Archangel, angel, is there five? There's nine. There's nine? Yeah, I cannot name Thrones, it. dominions, powers. Ah, okay, okay. Um, powers and virtues are the same kind. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, just angel, angel as a class. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of this nine. is not explicitly It's not explicitly in the said in but, Scripture, but, there but hinted. There is references yes. to it. Yes. I mean, if you have angels and then you have an archangel, there's a difference there. So one of the great, um, when I preached on angels in the past, it, it, we're, we're talking about holy speculation, and speculation mm-hmm. just means, or prayerful speculation, is that saturated through prayer and Holy Scripture and the tradition, we're speaking about things that we can't possibly fully understand. Mm-hmm. So we are, we are, we are making holy guesses mm-hmm. and understanding these things, and and um, none of it detracts from from the substance and the heart of our faith. And, yeah. and these are also the distinction. This is a doctrine and not a dogma. Yeah. Dogma is what is necessary to be a Christian. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is Resurrection, all these things. Doctrines are um, theological opinions Mm -hmm. about about various things. There might be aids to devotions, yeah. Yes. Um, So, I mean, uh, 
another encouragement that if you read the New Testament and the Old Testament, all the writers believe in angels. They assume all of this understanding of, you know, the, the world Not behind only that, the that, but the Bible world. assumes angels. You know, when you look Correct. at Holy yeah. Scripture, there is, when angels appear, there, or when people even hear about angels, yeah. no one says, what was What's that? that? What's an angel? Yeah. They're just assumed. Right. They're there. And you see an angel in the Garden of Eden at the end mm-hmm. in Genesis, and you see angels all throughout the oh, book of yep. Revelation and all in between. So if you want to understand the Bible, you've got to... You gotta read a little bit about these angels. I mean, it'd be good for you to read about what the church has taught about the angels. But I, I want to bring up a couple verses because I think this helps us understand why would the church, you know, be devoted to, especially Michael, uh, maybe above some of the other angels or just angels in general. What? Why is this the feast day? What does this have to do with us? Um, Michael emerges as this really interesting protector almost throughout the Old Testament. Um, one of the most interesting, you know, verses I think we have is in Daniel 10. We have the prince of the kingdom of Persia. It, the idea is it's this false angel, this false god, this false heavenly being that is, you know, somehow uh, maybe one of the fallen angels that, you know, is in this land of the prince of Persia. Oppose me 21 days is what Daniel says. So Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And he goes on to talk about how, you know, these two do battle. Michael is almost like, you know, literally defending um, God's chosen people from these fallen angels, from these false kingdoms that are trying to detract from them. He becomes this protector figure. And, um, you know, later Jewish writings really, really take this and run with it. Um, And, you know, you have Jeremiah writing prayers to Michael, and it's this idea that um, there is a world, and Paul even hints at this, that you know, if you could see behind the, the material world, you would see all these battles taking place. But it's the idea that Michael is, you know, was the protector of the of the Israelite people, and then later the church. I mean, he is, you know, behind the scenes fighting the spiritual battles. And when you hear Jesus's words, like the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, um, it does bring to mind this this military idea, this battle. Um, and who is on our side? It's it's St. Michael. He is our protector. He is our defender. He gets called a prince throughout Daniel um, time and time again, just a couple chapters later. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people shall arise. And it talks about how he will have a role at the end of the time, um, at the you know resurrection of the dead. And then, you know, we have the famous Revelation 12 passage, um, the one that probably most people know, is when Michael and all of his angels do battle um, against the dragon. And he takes the dragon, which is called the devil, the serpent, the deceiver, and he throws him down to earth and all of his angels with him. Um, Michael is unequivocally this you know, militant protector and defender of the Israelites in the Old Testament and then the entire church. Um, throughout the New Testament. And so it makes sense that we would want to um, have devotions to him, give thanks, recognize that, you know, we're not left alone here on this earth to fight against the powers and the principalities, you know, the the forces of darkness, um, the fallen angels. You know, people always talk about, you know, the devil, evil, Satan. um, And what's our hope against that? Well, we actually have people on our side. Um, We are given, you know, Michael and these other protectors. So there's this really interesting, 
you know, supernatural protection and battle going on throughout the scriptures from Daniel to Revelation. And Michael is kind of at the forefront of that. You can borrow your Bible for a moment. So the thing about Michael, and as I mentioned, it, it's just so so saturated in scripture mm-hmm. that, that you don't always pay attention to it. He's everywhere. He is. Uh, Michael is in um, Daniel 12, I think. Yeah, that's the one I just read. Yeah, you said, yeah. Resurrection of the Dead. Yes, but he's the one, that's why Michael is the one weighing the souls. Yeah, I was trying to find, Um, a lot of icons will have him with scales, right? Yeah, absolutely, because because of that line in Daniel, which is the only line in all of the Old Testament that speaks of the resurrection of the body Mm -hmm. at the end of that. Michael is in um, Revelation. Casting down um, Satan, Michael is in the book Jude, where he's wrestling with the devil mm-hmm. over the body of Moses. And yeah. So the young adults and I had a fun time last night talking about the, um, you know, background of that, which is not in our our Bible necessarily, but it's in you know these other kind of Second Temple writings. But um, you know, literally fighting with Satan. And the interesting part about that line in Jude that I think is uh, very helpful in understanding. Who, who, what are the angels doing and who do they serve? You know, Jude says, Michael, basically he is critiquing false teachers um, because they go around blaspheming the holy ones. Basically these things that they don't even understand, they reject the lordship of Jesus and they, they don't even understand what's happening. And Jude says, Michael himself doesn't even pronounce judgment on Satan when he argued with him. He says, may the Lord rebuke you. Correct, because what does the name Michael mean? It means who is like unto God, yeah. who is like so God. So time and time again, Michael is deferring to God's judgment. They always serve God. Which makes Michael the the antithesis of Lucifer. Mm-hmm. The battle is not between the devil and God. Mm-hmm. That's 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 not even a it's battle. Yeah. Uh, the battle is between Lucifer and Michael. Those yeah. are the two, if you were to look for some semblance of equality. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, Michael wins. Right. But but Michael is asking, who is like God? And what yeah. is Lucifer saying? I am, I am like God. Am. And you yeah. see that you know powerfully throughout Holy Scripture. The thing I mentioned about the assumption about the role of angels, you see in Revelation, again, where the churches had an angel yeah. guarding them. And then there are... Um, the Jewish tradition, each nation would have an angel. And there's the the seven um, in Revelation kind of gets associated with, uh, like the Orthodox Church um, explicitly recognizes seven archangels. Yep. Um, and there are, you know, Raphael, Uriel, Michael. And Raphael's in the book uh, Tobit. Tobit. Yep. And, and Enoch gives, I think, the seven. Yeah. And, and so the idea of Michael being called a prince. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was, what I was looking up in your Bible was Genesis 6, just confirming that what were the angels called in, in Genesis 6? And they're, I think they're called elsewhere, I think also in Sons the Psalms. Sons of God. Sons of God. Yeah, yeah. And if, if God is the king of kings, mm-hmm. who are the sons of God? Yeah. The princes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so there's this really, really well-thought-out tradition that is probably codified in extra-biblical material mm-hmm. like Enoch, for instance, and but most certainly in the temple tradition, which is lost to us because it was destroyed by the Babylonians. Yeah. But the construction of the temple, we didn't mention the Ark of the Covenant, yeah. and this is where Raiders of the Lost Ark get, yeah. it, get it right. It's, it's quite good. You have you have the you have the angels on top of the Ark of the of the mercy seat, 
And so, um, and and then where did where did um, Zechariah in Luke's gospel, when he was in the holy of holies, what did he encounter there? Mm-hmm. An angel, the messenger. So, what's the point? What do these things tell us? They in scripture, they tell us at least two things. They tell us um, first of all that there is a world beyond the material. Mm-hmm. Angels are immaterial; they are pure spirits. Mm-hmm. So, their intellect and will—that's what a spirit is. Yep. So, the idea of the battle going on behind is not a material battle, it's a spiritual Correct. battle of, yeah. of, of intellect and will, of knowledge mm-hmm. and desire. Um, and so the, the idea that, that behind what we can see, touch, taste, feel, and smell, there is um, a, a, a deeper reality going yeah. on. That's, and if anybody you know, says, and that's where it's too much for me, you know, I, I think nowadays you know, people get obsessed with, I believe in science, science, you know, this material... You know, I think science has always described itself as a way of knowledge. I mean, it's still a scientific method. It's a hypothesis. It's looking at the material world. But I think it's always helpful to remember, and I did this with the, with the high schoolers the other week. Everyone believes in immaterial things. Um, you know, the silly example is light. Light does not have a matter with it, but we believe that light exists. We believe in numbers. It's this abstract, immaterial concept that we use symbols to... You write a four on the board, we know what that is, but when you erase the number four, we still understand that the number four exists. It's this immaterial thing. So the idea that immaterial realities can exist is not is not too far for anyone. That's how we live our lives. Well, it's I not. I try to encourage people that you already... You already believe in immaterial things. But not only that, but the mistake we make is trying to have science measure what science can't by its yeah, nature yeah. measure. Science it doesn't is claim to. observation of the material world. Right. We're not talking about the material yeah. world. The, the method doesn't apply, right. nor is it is it meant to. But the other thing uh, after the, the, the world beyond this world or the reality beyond this reality of intellect and will mm-hmm. and not of, not of uh, material things is the fact that that they exist to communicate as messengers Mm -hmm. and that all around us we have signposts and we have hints and we Mm -hmm. have nudges that are used um, in all kinds of ways. And again, this is not just sort of made up stuff. This is reflecting on Holy Scripture Mm -hmm. of how the angels seem to appear as. Mm -hmm. um, and, And we can reflect on how do angels appear to us or how do messengers appear to us or how do non-angelic beings, how are they influenced and used as messengers? So when we talk about that kind of world behind this world, about how they they protect, how they guide, how they lead, Mm -hmm. could also be, you know, whispering in your conscience. Mm -hmm. I actually, I actually don't discount the the cartoon or the or the Hollywood image yeah. of the two angels on your shoulders. That really, in your conscience, is yeah. how that sort of plays out. Is yeah. whispering, is this is this really the right thing? Is this mm-hmm. helpful? And the one saying, do it, do it, do, do it. it, do it. Um, the, but also, the idea that people can be vessels influenced by yeah. that by that world of intellect and will that is leading us to God, mm-hmm. that can be an angelic influence if it is a messenger to bring us closer to Jesus yeah. Christ. We can, you can kind of understand the role of um, Michael and those those angels by, you know, looking at the flip side. What happens with the fallen angels? What is their, you know, and this is Genesis 6, it's also a little bit of extra biblical material, but 
um, the New Testament writers. By extra-biblical material, we mean writings that are not contained in the Correct. canon of Scripture yeah. that were well-known to the— Yeah, but written yeah. at the same time, yes. uh, found in caves with portions of Scripture, clearly in the same family. And why they're not included is for another podcast. Yeah, um, but, you know, the, the fallen angels, I mean, long story short— uh, they one of their chief sins is that they teach humanity how to do evil. Um, the, the watchers, you know, in Genesis six, these fallen angels. Why does humanity get so bad um, before the flood? It's because these fallen angels, instead of saying, "Look to God, I'm His messenger, who is like Him," they say, "Look at me, look at look at Lucifer." Here's, here's how you can, you know, they teach them how to make weapons and they teach them how to um, indulge in, you know, bodily pleasure above all. And, and that's kind of the, 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 the sin that they engage in is um, don't look to God for your guidance. Look to yourselves. Te- teach them how to do wrong. And so when we think about Michael and our devotions to him, it's, it's a thankfulness that he points us, he protects us from these bad influences, and he points us to Almighty God. And if we spend our time obsessing about details about wings and mm-hmm. and the and the the details of what battles and what they look like, again, we're missing the point. Right. The point is to use these images as given to us as ways to reflect and meditate yeah. on the reality behind this reality mm-hmm. and the fact that ordinary things, ordinary means, can be used by God as 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 a as a way of communicating mm-hmm. his will for us and that we should as you see throughout holy scripture be open to that communication coming yeah. in various ways through other people through through our conscience or through um even through uh, the through nature mm-hmm. you know whatever we may see or feel that brings us closer to Jesus Christ the um Conversation I, I brought up mentioned earlier with the young adults about about angels. We, we were talking last night about, um, you know, why is it so hard for us to sometimes kind of accept angels and accept these supernatural things? And we were talking about um, something that C.S. Lewis I think even gets at in his Screw Tape letters when he talks about the demons, you know, how they are kind of coaching each other and how to tempt Christians in in you know, modern times. And one of the things they say is. Nowadays, um, your, your greatest asset is not to get them to believe in you instead of the good angels. It's just to doubt all of it entirely. Um, it's an obsession with materialism. And so let them do that. Let them dive headfirst into materialism. That way they're not even thinking about anything supernatural. Um, and I think that really is something that probably more people than they're aware of have bought into. The idea that if I can't see it and touch it, it's not real. And it's, you know, abstract, it's in my mind, it's not necessarily hurtful, but it doesn't actually exist. Um, And the second you, you know, do that, it starts trickling into your faith, and then everything becomes, you know, destabilized. So, you know, in our world today, I think we have this, um, the phrase we were, you know, using is this disenchanted worldview. Um, We've kind of gotten rid of all the angels, of all that. We've relegated it to movies, to fairy tales, to our mind, but it doesn't actually exist. And as Christians, we are, you know, standing as the antithesis of that. We are saying, no, the grounding of our faith is in a God who is immaterial, who is the creator of, of the universe, who is outside of matter because he created it, who is outside of time because he created it. Um, and so I think we need to be aware of that may be one of our struggles, one of our temptations is to, you know, be like 
um, the recipients of the temptations in Lewis's screw tape letters that the supernatural just doesn't exist. I only believe in the natural. I only believe in what I can see. And part of that, I think, is um, it's scary to say there's something out there that I can't see, that I can't measure, that I can't know definitively. Um, that's, a, that's a jump. It's, it's a little scary. It's a little frightening. Um, but that is what our faith is grounded in. Angels, um, guardian angels, you know, archangels. We will we will celebrate them all um, in our devotions. Well, let's this say this Friday. real quick, though. This is this is the biggest heresy of angels. I was just, oh yeah, I, yeah. I was just thinking. I know what you're going to say? What am I going to say? People do not become angels when they you're die. Correct. Yeah. That's right. Um, don't say that. Yeah. It diminishes the role of it di- diminishes the human person correct. in saying that. Yeah. Because angels serve us. Mm-hmm. We don't serve angels. And if we if we become angels when we die, that's a demotion. It is. Um, yeah. You know, God God took on our flesh so that, that we may become like him Correct. and joined with him. And I, I understand, I appreciate the sentiment mm-hmm. that they, they're they having a glorified life mm-hmm. now. Fine. Just say that, that in the general resurrection, soul and body it. will be glorified mm-hmm. in a way that's far grander yeah. than becoming an angel. It's also a rejection of the goodness of, of our bodies. Yes, um, Our absolutely. bodies were created good, and we... You know, the hope of the resurrection is that they will be sanctified and perfected and made holy once again. And that they, you know, uh, in the Eucharistic prayer, here we offer and present unto thee, it says, ourselves. And then it defines what is ourselves. It's our souls and bodies. Yeah. Us together is your soul and your body united. Um, and so you don't lose that after death. Um, you are separated for a time, and then at the resurrection, they will be joined together. I think the encouragement of that is people say that because they want some idea of they're watching over me yep. they're praying for me and that that is true we have the tradition of the saints and you know even unnamed saints they're saints that we don't know and hebrews says that they're a great cloud of witnesses cheering you on in your race you can have that encouragement you can have that comfort without saying that they become angels um that we just don't have any basis for that um it's not true and it would be a, a rejection of the goodness of the body and of the resurrection so yeah that's it that's a always a helpful point um you know get that out of your language i never say that when people bring it up because the timing is always awful Mm -hmm. and that would be a pastoral disaster but i'm not talking i'm not talking to someone who's grieving right now don't say that it's awful it's wrong it's not true have a have a bigger hope for your loved ones there you go yeah you know pray bigger there's there's yeah that's a good, you know, way to circle us back to the very beginning of our conversation when you were talking about praying for, uh, you know, a shack to be moved. Um, I think a good encouragement for all of us is to start praying for bigger things. Um, pray for a, a shack to be moved 200 feet. Um, I think a inability and an unwillingness to pray for those things, un, you know, discloses a, a doubt in our own life. Um, if we doubt something, we're not willing to pray for it. So start praying for, for bigger and better things. Um, because if you have faith, you know, that can move mountains. Well, and God, God always is, answers our prayers, yeah. and we may even get what we ask for. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Let's close with the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore.